Welcome to Gnostic Insights. My name is Dr. Sid Rock, and I'm your host. Welcome back to Gnostic Insights. Last week, we began to answer a question that my brother had raised, and that question had to do with the nature of what is called the third order of powers. You know, we living creatures that inhabit this material world, we living creatures are called the second order of powers. And then there is a third order of powers that mysteriously appears, and it's on my diagram of the final economy, where there is an entity called the Third Order of Powers right up there next to the Christ and above the eons of the fullness of God. And so my brother's question was, well, how did a Third Order of Powers get above the eons of the hierarchy of God, get between them and the Christ? How is that possible? So last week, I started explaining these different powers that exist before our material creation, that is, prior to the fall, and what their relationship is. And then we're hopefully this week going to get to the creation of the third order of powers. I'll be reading again from the tripartite tractate of the Nag Hammadi, and this is the version that you can find over at gnosis.org at that website. And also, of course, I recommend you listen to last week's episode, which was called Praise and Glory, Aeonic Romance, because I don't want to overly review from last week. So go ahead and listen to that first. So now I'm starting up again, and I'm going to read from the Tripartite Tractate from Section 4 which is called Aeonic Emanations. Quote, And just as the admirations of the silences are eternal generations, and they are mental offspring, so too the dispositions of the word are spiritual emanations. Okay, now, as we learned last week, these things that are called the admirations of the silences, that is the all or the totalities, and they, remember, exist as a form of, like, kisses between the Father and the Son as they admire and love one another. That's why they're called the admirations of the silences. Those are the admirations between the Father and the Son. And they are eternal generations, that is, a multitude of kisses. They never stop kissing and loving, and they produce these mental offspring. So those are what we call the totalities of the all. And they pre-exist the eons of the hierarchy of God. These entities of the fullness, these kisses, these admirations of silences, they are also called the eons of the eons. So they predate the eons 
of the hierarchy. Okay, they are the mental offspring. It says, so too the dispositions of the word are spiritual emanations. And those spiritual emanations, those are what we typically refer to as the eons of the fullness of God. Quote, both of them, admirations and dispositions, since they belong to a word, are seeds and thoughts of his offspring and roots which live forever, appearing to be offspring which have come forth from themselves, being minds and spiritual offspring to the glory of the Father. So they appear to have come from themselves because there was only the Father and then there was the Father and Son, and boom, now we have these admirations and kisses between them, producing the all as an ongoing process of love, and then this totalities of the all, they admire and love one another as well, and they produce their own spiritual offspring, and those are the eons. And once the eons recognize themselves and name themselves, then they have their own place and their own root, and that is what we refer to as the hierarchy of the fullness of God, because they sort themselves into their names, stations, ranks, places, duties, all of that. And the reason these eons continuously beget themselves, which means they, they're looking at each other with love and admiration, the way the father and son did in the first place. And then they look around at the other eons and they make more, they conceive of more eons. This is aeonic romance to love and admire, praise, sing about the Father through the power of themselves. And this creates an infinite number of offspring, of emanations. It says, for this is their procreative power, like those from whom they have come. And that would be the Father and Son initially, and then the totalities of the all. Now we're talking about the eons of the fullness. For this is their procreative power, like those from whom they have come, according to their mutual assistance, since they assist one another like the unbegotten ones. And the unbegotten ones, those were the original characteristics of the sun that we call the totalities. And this, by the way, this mutual assistance, this procreative power, this is the original fractal of what we call the simple golden rule. Because we have the same powers, you know, we are also derivatives of the all and of the hierarchy of the fullness of God. So we also look at each other with love and admiration. And sometimes we conceive and we beget our own emanation, which we call babies. It says that the procreative power of the eons is their mutual assistance. And that would be the simple golden rule of working together with love, with information, and with assistance to create something new, something better, to beget our own emanations. And for us, those emanations are things like babies, of course, but also like work product, like working together using the simple golden rule to build 
things that we couldn't build on our own, like communities or like architecture. Going on into section five of the tripartite called Aeonic Life, it says that, quote, all those who came forth from him, who are the eons of the eons, being emanations and offsprings of his procreative nature, they too, in their procreative nature, have given glory to the Father, as he was the cause of their establishment. This is what we said previously, namely that he creates the eons as roots and springs and fathers, and that he is the one to whom they give glory. They have begotten, for he has knowledge and wisdom, and the totalities knew that it was from knowledge and wisdom that they have come forth. Okay, by now I think you understand what this all means, what I just said, right? That all those that come forth from him, who are the eons of the eons, so the him is the sun, the eons of the eons, that's the all, the totalities of the all, they in their procreative nature also give glory to the Father, and that he creates the eons as roots and springs and fathers, and that he is the one to whom they give glory. That is the Son, who is now their Father. It says that these eons of the fullness were drawn into a mingling and a combination and a unity with one another. They offered glory worthy of the Father from the pleromatic congregation. And pleroma means the everything or all of them. So the pleromatic congregation means all of them sitting together. The hierarchy of the fullness of God, which I generally depict as that golden pyramid, if you look at my illustrations. And by the way, you can find all of these illustrations that I talk about there at GnosticInsights.com. If you look at this week's and last week's episodes, I have the illustrations there of all of these things that I'm talking about. The sun, the all, the pleromatic congregation of the hierarchy of the fullness, and then also the final economy, which is the point of this entire exercise that we're doing. We're on a mission here. We're trying to get to explaining the third order of powers, and they do dwell in the final economy. So you can see that illustration if you go to the website. So it says, they offered glory worthy of the Father from the pleromatic congregation, which is a single representation, although many, because it was brought forth as a glory for the single one, and because they came forth toward the one who is himself the totalities. So the one who is himself the totalities of the all, that is the son of the father. And then he gives birth to his emanations and they coexist with him in the same place. They don't go anywhere. And that is the totalities of the all. And so now the totalities of the all have recognized themselves, named themselves, and they have given birth to their own infinite number of emanations, and those are the eons of the hierarchy of the fullness. It's kind of confusing when you just hear about it, but if you look at the pictures, you can see how it all unfolds, and I think it will make more sense to you. Quoting again, 
Now, this was a praise for the one who brought forth the totalities. Being a first fruit of the immortals and an eternal one, because having come forth from the living eons, being perfect and full because of the one who is perfect and full, it left full and perfect those who have given glory in a perfect way because of their fellowship. It sounds very confusing to hear it, doesn't it? All it's saying is that the living eons are perfect and full because they were generated out of the one who is perfect and full, and it left perfect and full those who have given glory in a perfect way because of that simple golden rule type of fellowship where they all work together, all for one and one for all, remember, is the motto of the all. That's my paraphrase. All for one and one for all. That's how you remember the all. And then they give birth to their own emanations, which is the hierarchy of the fullness of God. As a result, just as they were brought forth in glory for the Father, so too, in order to appear perfect, they appeared acting by giving glory. They were fathers of the third glory, according to the independence and the power which was begotten with them, since each one of them individually does not exist so as to give glory in a unitary way to him whom he loves. So there is no self-awareness at this stage, no ego. They are the first and the second. So the first glory is the sun, and the second glory is the all. And all of them are perfect and full, because they are manifestations of the Father who is perfect and full. Okay, we've got that. The fruit of the third glory, however, consists of honors of the will of each one of the eons and each one of the properties. So you see, the eons of the fullness of God, those guys we always think of as the eons, they're also known as the third glory because the first was the sun and the second glory was the all and the third glory is the hierarchy of the fullness of God. And that third glory of the hierarchy, those eons, they have self-awareness now. That's why it says they consist of the honors of the will of each one of the eons, because they have will. They have free will. And each one of the eons indicates that they are now separate identities, whereas the all was just one identity, which was coexistent with the sun, which is a singular one. The pleroma of the hierarchy reflects the individuality of the wills of all the eons. It says, it exists perfect in the thought, which is a product of agreement, since it is a product of the individuality of the eons. It is this which he loves and over which he has power, as it gives glory to the Father by means of it. Carrying on. For this reason, they are minds of minds, which are found to be words of words, elders of elders, degrees of degrees, which are exalted above one another. Each one of those who give glory has his place and his exaltation and his dwelling and his rest, which consists of the glory which he brings forth. And now at this point, 
I tend to identify that self-awareness, I call it ego, because ego for the pleroma, for the eons of the pleroma here, is a merely their words of words, degrees of degrees, elders of elders. In other words, their ranks and their stations and their positions. That is the nature of their self-awareness. And we can call that their ego because it is a singular quality for each one. It's different. It goes on to say, all those who glorify the Father have their begetting eternally. They beget in the act of assisting one another. Since the emanations are limitless and immeasurable, and since there is no envy on the part of the Father toward those who came forth from him in regard to their begetting, something equal or similar to him, since he is the one who exists in the totalities, begetting and revealing himself. Whomever he wishes, he makes into a father, of whom he is in fact the father, and makes into a God, of whom he is in fact God. And he makes them the totalities, whose entirety he is. In the proper sense, it says, all the names which are great are kept there. And now we're talking about the pleroma of the hierarchy of God. These names, which the angels share, who have come into being in the cosmos along with the archons, although they do not have any resemblance to the eternal beings. So it says that the angels and the archons share the same names that the eons of the fullness have even though they are not equal to those whose names they share, and and the archons are even less equal to those whose names they share. So, what does it mean by names? Well, I think that these egoic names, these identities, they include names like flower, tree, dog, human, even parts of living bodies who themselves are alive, like kidneys, cells. They're not names like my name or like Frank or George. They're not those types of identities. They are functional identities. It says the entire system of the eons has a love and a longing for the perfect, complete discovery of the Father, and this is their unimpeded agreement. Though the Father reveals himself eternally, since he grants that he be conceived of in such a way as to be sought for, while keeping to himself his unsearchable primordial being. It says, It is he, the Father, who gave root impulses to the eons, since they are places on the path which leads towards him, as toward a school of behavior. He has extended to them faith in and prayer to him whom they do not see and a firm hope in him of whom they do not conceive, and a fruitful love which looks toward that which it does not see, and an acceptable understanding of the eternal mind, and a blessing which is riches and freedom, and a wisdom of the one who desires the glory of the Father for his thought. Now, This is a description of the eons and how they think and how they feel, but it's also a description of us, 
because we are the fruit of the eons. So every characteristic that the eons possess, we also possess. We spoke more about this in a previous episode, just a few episodes ago, where we were reading out of now the same section of the tripartite tractate, which was sections 5 and then section 6. So I'm not going to go into that again. But if you want to back up and listen to that again, that would be two recent episodes called The Birth and Nature of Logos, and then going on to Why Are We Here? Those two episodes will help with your understanding of this episode and the immediately prior episode. So they're all going in order now. And if you're confused, just back up a couple more episodes to the Birth and Nature of Logos and then the Why Are We Here episode. Now we're going to jump on to section eight called The Emanation of the Savior. By this time in the story of the cosmogony, the Gnostic cosmogony, the eons of the Pleroma, the final eon, which they produced as an emanation in their mingling and giving glory to one another, all of them were giving glory together, and they produced this final eon who's called Logos. And the eon named Logos possessed within itself all of the characteristics of the Pleroma. So he was like a little miniature Pleroma of the hierarchy of God, all within his single body. That's why in my diagram of the Pleroma, I show a large pyramid of these golden orbs, which represent those eons. And then at the very top of that pyramid is a smaller pyramid, which looks like a copy of the entirety of the pyramid, right? And that little pyramid sitting on top now, that represents Logos. And Logos, he wanted to swim upstream. He wanted to rejoin the Father because he had that sensation of the love of the Father, that beneficence toward himself, right? And he knew the Father was up there, and he was just trying to swim on back into the body of the Father. But nobody's ever really separated from the Father, remember, because these emanations are all extensions. They're not separations. So even we down here on earth, we are still emanations right out of the body of the Father, too. And we are still plugged into the totality of the One. Nothing exists outside of the One. It's only a matter of remembering and recognizing. And the way you remember that is through the love that's coming downstream towards us. Anyway, Logos felt that love, and he went to plug himself back in up higher. He, he sought to leave his proper station and address and duty and go back up and be the entirety again. But that was not his job, and that's what caused the fall. And then when Logos fell, he broke apart. This fall is what created our material existence, our material universe. And what came out of Logos after he fell were small representations. They're called the likenesses. And those are the little bits of the Pleroma as represented 
in the body of the singular eon known as Logos. When it fell, all that infinite number of representations rolled out of him. And they are the inverses. They are the shadows of the pleroma of the hierarchy of God up above. But they were disordered and confused, and they didn't have the spirit of cooperation because they weren't produced by the shared thought and love and singular purpose of everyone, see? They were just the egoic representations of that one eon known as Logos, which was a singular move out of ego rather than out of unity. Quoting now from section 8, it says, The Logos which moved had the hope and expectation of him who is exalted. That is to say, the Logos thought he had the hope of him who is exalted. He thought he was going back up to the Father. Quote, as for those of the shadow, and those are the guys that came into being down here in the material world, as for those of the shadow, he separated himself from them in every way, since they fight against him and are not at all humble before him. He was content with the beings of the thought. And remember, the beings of the thought, that is the all and the pleroma of the hierarchy. They exist in a thought form. They are ethereal. Whereas those down here that have become the shadow, that is the material likeness of those above. So it says that Logos was content with the beings of thought, and he wasn't content with these shadows that came out of him after the fall. Quote, and as for the one who is set up in this way and who is within the exalted boundary, remembering the one who is defective, the Logos brought him forth in an invisible way among those who came into being according to the thought. And the thought, again, that's the originating thought. That's the thought of the images. The pure beings of the thought are the all who are coexistent with the sun. As for the one who is set up in this way and who is within the exalted boundary, that's up above, remembering the one who is defective, that's down below, the Logos brought him forth in an invisible way among those who came into being according to the thought, according to the one who was with them, until the light shone upon him from above as a life giver, the one who was begotten by the thought of brotherly love of the pre-existent Pleromas. The stumbling which happened to the eons of the father of the totalities who did not suffer was brought to them as if it were their own, in a careful and non-malicious and immensely sweet way. So, the father of the totalities who did not suffer, that's the all, that's the son and the all, they were made aware of the fall, that would be the stumbling. And they became aware of it in a sweet and non-harmful, non-malicious way. See, they weren't involved in it. They're still in the all. It says it was brought to the totalities so that they might be instructed about the defect by the single one. The single one is the sun from whom alone they all received strength to eliminate the defects. So, Logos has returned to the hierarchy of the Pleroma, 
the Pleroma all together look upward to their father and to the totalities of the all from which they derived. And they say, oh no, look what happened. One of the eons has fallen and this horrible thing has occurred. Can you help us? Can you save us? So the Logos, in combination with the Pleroma of the fullness of God out of which he fell, they all together look upward to that which emanated them. That was the eons of the eons, the totalities. And they ask for help to restore their fallen eon to his fullness, to cure the problem that has occurred down below. And that problem, that's our material universe. So I'm not going to go into the whole talk about the second order of powers because we've done that quite a lot here at Gnostic Insights. And if you don't know about the second order of powers yet, go back and listen to those first eight episodes, which you can find in the Gnostic Primer at the Gnostic Insights homepage. We are of the second order of powers. We were initially brought down here as a step toward restoring the fall. And we find ourselves, we second order powers, are in a battle with the shadows that came out of Logos. We are in a battle with the Archons. So we, and by the way, angels, are in a battle with the Archons and the Demiurge who rule and control and constitute this material universe. But I will remind you that the second order of powers were created by the fullness of the hierarchy and Logos when he returned, when he fled back up to his brothers in the fullness. They prayed for a new kind of fruit, that being the second order of powers, to bring life and light into the dead creation that had been made by the part of Logos that fell. So now the self of Logos is back up in the fullness with his brothers, and his ego has been left and abandoned down here below. And so we second-order powers, we are representations of the original eons that live in the hierarchy. There's one of us second-order powers for every one in the hierarchy of the fullness. That way, life can come into every piece of the fall that was the fractals of Logos. And he represented, remember, all of those images that exist in the hierarchy of the fullness. We're getting to the point of this whole exercise, which is the third order of powers. And that's what we're talking about now. It says that, quote, the order which was his, and that would be the father, the order which was his came into being from him who ran on high, and that's Logos, and that which brought itself forth from him, and from the entire perfection. The one who ran on high became for the one who was defective, and the one who is defective, that's the demiurge. It's the shadow of the one who ran on high, also known as Logos. 
So the order which was his came into being from him who ran on high, and that which brought itself forth from him, and from the entire perfection. The one who ran on high became for the one who was defective an intercessor, with the emanation of the eons which had come into being in accord with the things which exist. And the things which exist, the things which truly exist, those are the beings of the thought, the eons of the eons, the images of the perfection of the sun. When he prayed to them, so when Logos prayed to them, they consented joyously and willingly, since they were in agreement and with harmonious consent to aid the defective one. So we're talking about the all now, the totalities of the all. So of course they're in agreement and harmonious consent because they are always in agreement and harmonious consent. They do not have their own individual egos. They are one and the same with the Son. They gathered together asking the Father now. So now the all is praying to their upstream, which is the Father that they sit directly inside of, that they're coexistent with. They gathered together, asking the Father with beneficent intent that there be aid from above, from the Father, for his glory, since the defective one could not become perfect in any other way unless it was the will of the pleroma of the Father, which he had drawn to himself, revealed, and given to the defective one. Then from the harmony in a joyous willingness which had come into being, they brought forth the fruit, which was a begetting from the harmony, a unity, a possession of the totalities, revealing the countenance of the Father, of whom the eons thought as they gave glory and prayed for help for their brother with a wish in which the Father counted himself with them. Thus it was willingly and gladly that they bring forth the fruit. And he made manifest the agreement of the revelation of his union with them, which is his beloved Son. But the Son, in whom the totalities are pleased, put himself on them as a garment, through which he gave perfection to the defective one, and gave confirmation to those who are perfect, the one who is properly called Savior, the Redeemer, the well-pleasing one, and the Beloved, the one to whom prayers have been offered, and the Christ, and the light of those appointed, in accordance with the ones from whom he was brought forth, since he has become the names of the positions which were given to him. Yet what other name may be applied to him except the Son, since he is the knowledge of the Father? whom he wanted them to know. We're skipping over pretty quickly the creation of the Christ. So, if you're hazy about that, go back and listen to the episodes concerning the Christ. You can find them in the Episodes tab. You can also find its introduction in the Gnostic Primer tab, which, of course, you will find at GnosticInsights.com. Okay, now, we're getting to the point. Here, is the, here comes the creation of the third order of powers. 
Because what we just described was the creation of the Christ. And now, here comes the creation of the third order of powers. Quote, Not only did the aeons generate the countenance of the Father to whom they gave praise, and by the way, that's the Christ, which was written previously, but they also generated their own countenance. For the eons who give glory generated their countenance and their face. They were produced as an army for him, as for a king, since the beings of the thought have a powerful fellowship and an intermingled harmony. Okay, so it wasn't only the Christ that was created. It was the face of every eon that was created with this glorious remembrance of the Father, with the Christ within it. So, now we have the coming of the third order of powers. At this point, they were produced as an army for the Christ. So, these third order powers, they differ in their creation from the second order powers in that they are living images of the original all before it differentiated into the eons of the hierarchy. So the third order of powers are further upstream back towards the Son and the Father. They are more powerful. They got more mojo than the second order of powers. And these now are created along with the Christ. They are essentially the pleroma of the Christ the third order of powers. And so there is one of those third order powers for every one of us second order powers down here for our redemption. It says they came forth in a multifaceted form in order that the one to whom help was to be given might see those to whom he had prayed for help. And I interpret this to mean that the ones who need help that is everybody down here below in this material creation. So that is not only all of us humans, all of us animals and plants and everything that are the second order of powers. That is everything that has the life from the pleroma of the hierarchy of God. We are all the second order powers and we need help down here because we are stuck in this never ending war with the fallen and the archons of the demiurge. We can't do it. And so an army of Christ was produced with the face of every single eon in order that we might each have our own Christ. You see, the Logos who fell, he had a little small fractal version of every one of the faces of the eons within himself. And when he fell, they all, that's what broke out and rolled around and became the material. So when we came down, we also have the faces of every single one of the pleroma. Those are the dogs, the cats, the leaves, the humans, the kidneys, the cells. Those are, quote, the faces or the egoic identities of those eons of the pleroma. So when the Christ was produced... They also produced an army for the Christ consisting of the faces, that is the egoic representations of every one of the eons. Because that way, there is a piece of light for every piece of darkness. There is a piece of life 
for every piece of death. There is redemption for everything that has fallen. So in our Christian understanding, we think of the Christ as a singular entity, but the Christ also reflects and is able to redeem every representation that has ever come out of the fallen logos and of the fullness of the hierarchy of God and of every second order power. So each one of us has a personal representation. So I have my own Christ representation that comes to me so that when I prayed to the Father for salvation, when I prayed for the Father for redemption, I was able to recognize the Father and recognize the Christ because it came looking like me. And when you pray to the Father and you pray for redemption and you pray to the Christ to save you, the Christ will appear to you in a form that you can personally recognize. That's what the conventional Christians have a dim version of in their personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the fruit of the third order of powers, and he is our exemplar. Jesus is the example by which the salvation of Christ and this army of third order powers that was produced to assist the Christ, they came into Jesus and he was the perfection of the Christ. He never strayed. He never forgot. He knew all along who his father was. And when we pray in like manner, we can also be filled with the Christ and with our own personal third order of power, our own soldier of the army that was produced to assist the single Christ to come into this fallen world that we can all recognize the Christ because we recognize the third order powers which were produced as an army for him. And we've each got our own. I don't know for sure, but I'm thinking that this is the idea of your guardian angel. Many people have this notion that they have a guardian angel. Probably it's a third order of power that has your name on it. That's your guardian angel. And so to make a very, very long story short, the third order of powers is on my diagram right next to the Christ and above the eons of the fullness because they were produced as an army for Christ and they came after the pleroma of the hierarchy of God, but they are above the hierarchy of the pleroma of God, that is the ordinary eons, because they possess the entirety of the all within them. They are coexistent with the Christ. There is a lot more to say about the third order of powers in the tripartite tractate. I ran out of time this week. Next week, we'll go ahead and do a part three of this train of thought, and that will be another look at the third order of powers and the Christ and how it is that redemption works on us down here below. So we'll pick it up here next week. This is a very difficult lesson. It's nice to know. I hope you get it. It doesn't really matter because all you need to know is that we come from the Father and to the Father we will return. We are emanations directly of the Father, 
and to the Father we will reunite. God bless us all, and onward and upward. <laughs>